Welcome. You're listening to the Bible Marathon Project, your one-stop class for learning Bible interpretation, defending your faith, using spiritual gifts, and building consistency in your devotion with God. We hope these sessions are a blessing to you as they have been to us. And without further ado, we say welcome to Vulnerability Sunday. All right, let's 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 pray. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for this time. We appreciate you. We give you all the praise and glory because you are in charge of our lives. You're in charge of our every aspect of our lives. And I thank you because you are supreme overall, sovereign and loving and kind. And Lord, we ask that even as we go into this time together, this evening or afternoon, Lord, we are equipped, we are strengthened, and our faith is strengthened even more, God. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whew. Okay, so welcome to Bible Marathon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Marathon, everyone. If it's your first time, we're glad to have you here. Super glad to have you here. So if you're new, we like to see faces, and I'm just hoping that we, we see more faces. You know, I want to see a lot more faces. I don't like just seeing myself and just a few people. So as much as possible and also as comfortable as you can be, all right? Don't, you don't have to do anything. Samuel, how are you? Good to see you. All right. Um, I'm le- <laughs> I need to figure out how to work this thing. Okay, don't worry. I'll just be clicking from here. All right, so this is Vulnerability Sunday, all right? And we normally spend different Sundays to to handle different topics. And this particular Sunday is dedicated to the the aspect of our Christian faith that um, make us vulnerable, right? So aspects of our faith that involve vulnerability of some kind. So, you know, sharing our thoughts with one another. And then today is just a very special day because we're talking on a very, very important topic. Very, very important. By the way, we have a lot of beautiful announcements at the end. So don't leave too early. All right. The sermon, the teaching is not going to be super long. Trust me. But I, I hope it's going to bless you. I know it will bless you. Um, so be ready to receive as much as you can. All right. But before we go ahead, I want us to do a quick review of the book that we're reading this week, this past week. So we read Romans chapter one to four. So we're going to have Olalade give a review of that real quick, like the shortest review possible. What is chapter one saying? What's chapter two saying? And then you stop at chapter four. Over to you now. Okay. Hi, everybody. Excuse me. Um, So I will just quickly do a quick review of the first four books of Romans. So in Romans chapter one, um, Paul begins with a normal salutation and he's longing to visit the Roman church and impart spiritual gifts through his laying of hands, which you can see in verse 11. And this gives an understanding that this is an important aspect of our Christian fellowship. Um, Then he talks about also longing for an opportunity to share in their faith because he had heard that their faith had been noticed by the world. And he goes on to express his desire and willingness to preach the gospel. And I think verse 16 of chapter one is a very key um, passage because he talks about his desire such that he's not even ashamed to preach this gospel because it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes 
first the Jew and then the Greek. Then he goes on to talk about the reason for Gentile condemnation because the Gentiles have a knowledge of God, but they have chosen to suppress that knowledge. They chose not to retain God in their consciousness. And instead they've gone about doing evil things, for example, committing homosexuality, lesbianism and the likes. And he goes on to list the different kinds of sins that are committed by the Gentiles, knowing that there is a condemnation for that. In chapter two, he focuses on the Jews who are supposed to uphold the law, who know God, who are supposed to be righteous, but for one reason or the other, they have chosen to remain hypocrites. They preach the law, but they do not practice the law. And circumcision, which they pride so much in, is only making sense if they actually keep the law, but they don't. You will see that in verse 25 to 27. And then Paul kind of brings his argument to a conclusion, saying that, you know what, both Jews and Gentiles are really under sin, and this is why we need God. And God has made a provision for man's inadequacy through faith in Christ Jesus, and this is the key element of our justification, which you will see in verse 24. And then he talks about how God being righteous had to put his wrath and judgment on Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ being the propitiation for our own sins so that really no one can boast in their works or even in the law, right? In other words, justification is really by grace, by the blood of God, by the blood of Jesus and faith in Christ Jesus then in Romans 4, Paul gives an example of Abraham, whom we all know, and he made a claim that actually Abraham, the father of all, was actually declared righteous and justified even before circumcision. And he, he was declared justified because he believed God. And that is the core element. It is really to those who believe. And this is really central to understanding that Abraham is not just an example to circumcised people who are the Jews, but also the uncircumcised Gentiles because he was declared righteous even before his circumcision. And basically, in summary, righteousness is imputed to those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. Thank you very much. That, that was really good and on point. And I like the, the fact that you brought out the key points of each chapter. Um, I wanted to just ask, does anyone have any contribution, just one more person, on the book of Romans, like from chapter 1 to chapter 4? Anything that you found that was, you know, really unique or stood out for you? Anyone? Or any questions, right? Any questions you might have had? I have a contribution. Okay. I was raising my hand. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I just want, it's fine. I just wanted to add that I think um I didn't even know if my accountability group members are here, but I know a question came up in my group um over the week. Um and we um we just found that um the book of Romans is like a very connected book. Um that you know you have to really like read like Someone can join us next week and say they're going to start from five to whatever we are reading next week or this week rather. So they have to, you have to really start from um, the, from chapter one and just read through because of the way um, Paul made his arguments. And, you know, Olade um, alluded to that in her summary as well. I just wanted to put it out there that 
that was kind of what we found out as we just read um, that, you know, you can't even like someone, the person had a question from chapter two and we had to read chapter three to understand the question in chapter two. So I just wanted to add that. Um, but yeah, it's a very, it's a very great book. Love it. Yeah, that, that's mm-hmm. such a that's such a good contribution because um, remember, like I, I taught very early when we were doing hermeneutics, right? I said most of these, in fact, all the books of the Bible were not written originally in chapters and verses. So especially when you come to the letters, you realize that the author was writing one story, one message, had a, 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 an overarching purpose in what he was trying to communicate. So romance will answer itself, basically, just like Aya said. So have that at the back of your mind when you're studying. It will really help you. All right. So I'm, I'm, I'm so blessed and thankful to God for just how this has helped a lot of people. If you have not been participating in this reading um, plan that we have, it will help you. You know, please try to be a part of it. If you don't have an accountability partner or a group or for some reason yours is not functioning well, reach out to me. Let me know so we can get you connected as well. All right. Um, Lillian, are you ready right now or should we keep it till the end? Um, Whichever you think is better. Okay, so yeah, just share the idea right now. It's a lot easier, just in case we don't get to it mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah, so do you have a slide for it? Um, just just imagine there's a slide there. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so we are going to be having another um, Bible memorization challenge. Um, and the point of this one is to be able to know the gospel from scripture and to share the gospel from scripture. Um, And so this is to be able to share the gospel with people and also to be able to um, overcome the, uh, whatever false teaching you may hear with truth from scripture. Um, So we'll be memorizing the Romans road. Um, It's a little bit shorter than some other, uh, some of the other memorization challenges and we'll have different tiers of, um, how many verses to memorize. Um, yeah, so I believe they'll be sending a official right. announcement in the group of what exactly it is and what the tiers are um, and what the potential prizes are for participation. I know people like to hear prices. So <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there's going to be, um, it, it, this is basically Lillian's idea. She reached out to me, you know, we used to have memorization challenges where we'd read like chunks of scripture, right? Who remembers that? And then you'd go memorize. And then if you did it very well, you'd get like $20, 30. I think the highest we've ever done is $20 or $25. Um, But we were like, hey, many people find that difficult. They just see, hey, I can't memorize the whole chapter. So I'm just going to, you know, not do it at all. So what Lillian is suggesting here is, hey, let's get to know some of the most powerful verses. All right. Obviously, would would understand the context because we're reading through, but memorize it so it's useful uh, for you. You have it as your ars- in your arsenal when sharing the gospel with people. All right. So thank you for that, Lillian. And feel free to always bring up your ideas, please. This is Bible Marathon. Everyone is running the race. Everyone has something to to add. All right. Like I said before, I wanted to say thank you to Daniel again. Daniel is owning the um, pit stop sessions that we've been having. How many of you have enjoyed that? Let me see your hands. You know, if if it's been good, you've learned something from the pit stop sessions. 
you know, I can't see what's happening on Mixlr, but I know a lot of people there are probably raising their hands. So Daniel, thank you for that as well. Um, if you have any ideas that can make what we do here more effective, please feel free to reach out. All right. Okay. So dealing with anxiety, dealing with anxiety. Um, let me just pray again. I need God's help uh, to, to, to teach this. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you because you are amazing. You know all the things that we need before we ask. Lord, you've seen my heart that I really want to communicate this beyond the letter, beyond structure, beyond exegesis. I want it to be words that change hearts. And that as I speak today, Lord, everyone here is equipped with tools and the knowledge they need to deal with anxiety of every kind. Lord, I, I, I allow myself to be used as a vessel right now. Speak through me, inspire the hearts of those who hear me, and let Jesus be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. All right. So we definitely still have more announcements at the end. Daniel is going to do that, but I just want us to get right into the teaching. So just a heads up, we're going to do a, a few commentaries because I, I wanted to let you know how important it is to know God's word. You know, a lot of people don't understand that God's word has a purpose in our lives. It's not just, oh, the most spectacular book or the most sold book in the world. By the way, it is, right? The Bible is the most sold book in the world. Like it's the most printed book in the world, which is a huge record. But just printing the Bible doesn't make a difference. Owning a Bible doesn't make a difference. It is the knowledge of the word of God in your heart that does make the difference. All right, so let's look at something. Let's look at something real quick. So I'm going to show us a scripture in 2 Timothy, and I always like to quote from here. But my emphasis here is going to be different today. So 2 Timothy 16 to 17. I would love someone to read this for us. I think it's on the screen. So feel free to read this. So anyone... All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Thank you so much. And uh, the next reading, Modupe, you're going to do that, all right? So I saw your hand up. So just get ready for that. It says, all scripture, this is 2 Timothy three sixteen to 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. What does that tell you? It means that all of God's word, all of scripture, and here specifically would even involve just, you know, primarily the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi, you know, and then by extension, other scriptures. It says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. So it's God breathed. God inspired these things. All right. What is it profitable for? What is it useful for? What is it serviceable for? It says for doctrine. All right, so there is, a, there is a way we ought to think. There is a way we need to, to see this life. There's a worldview Christians need to have. That's the whole idea of doctrine. Doctrine is not subjective. It's not, oh, you believe this, I believe that. Mm -mm. that that's not how it works. Doctrine says this is a form, a structure of a set of beliefs that you must hold to. And that's what the scripture is supposed to do. It's supposed to what be profitable for doctrine for dogma, for teaching. It says for reproof. 
the word there when it says reproof is is actually um the word to that means evidence to give proof all right so the the word of god is supposed to give us proof for what we say we believe so we don't just have a knowledge of doctrine but we have proof and evidence of that truth how many of you understand what i'm saying so we don't just have truth we have evidence that backs up that truth as being truth so we can even see that from how people experience the world you know we look back at the scriptures and say oh wow the word of God already said that will happen and it happened. You know, you read the Proverbs and you see how it says, you know, pride bred before a fall. And then you actually see in the real world, people going before a fall because they're proud, you know? So the, the word of God is for reproof. That's the, the actual Greek word there is for evidence and for proof. All right. It says for correction. So you're going in one direction, you come in contact with God's word and it gives you a different perspective to that thing for correction. So you must be open and willing to take correction. A lot of people have their worldview framed by the culture that they're in, but we ought to be trained by God's standards. If we're going to live our lives according to God's will and have the most, like the most useful, profitable, satisfactory life on this earth it's going to be based on following the corrections we get from the word of god and then it says in, for instruction in righteousness meaning it tells us how we should live gives us direction on how to live lives that please god but the the emphasis i have here is the second part it says that the man of god may be perfectly may be perfect all right that's number one meaning complete all right so all of these things are for a purpose that the man of God, and when he says the man of God here, don't think pastors, bishops, because that's what some people are thinking right now. The man of God, like, oh, man of God, apostle. No, this is talking about every man in God or every man in Christ. So it's talking generically. All scripture is for the purpose of building you up because guess what? The verse before it was talking about Timothy. Who was Timothy? A student, right? Who became a pastor and he was taught the scriptures from his youth. So this is general. So if you were just wondering, like, why is he saying man of God? He, he's generalizing here. He says that, by the man of, that the man of God may be perfect. And he says, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Meaning there is, there is a furnishing. Have you ever been to a carpenter shop or a woodwork shop or something? Um you know, where like you, you go in there, you first of all see all these like logs of wood and then it's processed. How many of you have been to a wood workshop? I think in Nigeria, it's called a sawmill. I remember when I was young, I went to a sawmill and man, everything, there was just a lot of clanging, you know, hammers and everything. And then I remember going to a particular section where they, they had already cured the wood. They'd done all of that stuff. They had cut it. They made it into plywood. And then the, the, really, the word there is furnished. It just started to look so good. I mean, the, the work table I have right now is furnished. It's thoroughly furnished. It's, it's a final product. All right? It's, it's, it's perfect. It's good for what it's intended for. That's the idea here. 
thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So God doesn't just want to have you as a tool, but an effective tool in his hand. Praise the name of Jesus. And so I don't want you to have the approach today that, uh, you know, I've heard what Ernest is probably going to talk about. What, are, what is Ernest going to say about anxiety that I haven't heard before? Don't have that attitude right now. We're going into God's word. God's word is going to point us in the direction of truth. All right. So I want you to be open. All right. Be open. It's it's very easy in in our day-to-day life to to have such a detached sense of identity. I, I'm trying to see how to phrase this better. You, how many of you know what I'm, I mean when I say that? Some people, you, you, you have your mind, you know some things, right? But your life seems to be like in contradiction to those things you know, right? You know this is the truth, but your life seems to be saying a different thing. Now, what's the problem? This verse exposes that. It says it's when you allow these things, it is the working of these scriptures by the power of God in the heart of a person. When you allow doctrine, when you allow for reproof, when you allow for correction and instruction in righteousness, then you will experience this perfection that it's talking about. So you, if you're experiencing that detachment or that uh, incoherency with the word and your, your life not aligning, it means you've not allowed the word of God to gain its rule in your life. You've probably taken it as a casual thing, you know, and, and this is kind of what Jesus was talking about in one parable. Let me show you that parable, Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. Some of you have heard this parable before, but it's a good parable to, to go back to. So um, I need, is Moduka still here? I would like you to read this. All right, let's start from verse 19. But we're getting to verse 22. Put it in the NIV. All right, so let's go. Matthew 13 from verse 19 to 23. Let's go. Okay. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Okay. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no roots, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among thorns is the man who hears the word but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. The last verse now. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Thank you so much. So, so I need you guys to become farmers for a moment because when you when you see Jesus giving parables. He's actually appealing to a real-life scenario. So it's good to think like that. So you're a farmer. You have seeds and you're throwing them, right? There's every probability that those seeds will go to certain locations, right, as you throw them. 
Some will fall on good soil. Some will fall on thorns. Some will fall on rocky soil and all of that, right? But I want to show you something peculiar here. So first of all, we read from verse 9, you know, how the evil one snatches away the word sown in their heart. Look at verse 20. It says, rocky places. So there are certain people who receive the word of God. And guess what? They're the ones that shout, glory. Yes, this is amazing. This is so beautiful. True. Right? They receive it with joy. The Bible actually says they receive it with joy. But because it has no roots, it's, it's a rocky soil. It has no roots. What happens? It lasts only for a short time. And what is the thing that gets rid of that issue? What, what is the issue that causes that to be the case? Well, trouble, persecution. Because of the word, he falls away. But look at verse 22. And this is where we are getting to today. And I just really want you to be open because God showed to me that a lot of people are going to be healed today. And when I say healed, I mean emotional healing, mental healing. A lot of people are overwhelmed with so many things, so many burdens. And the word of God is going to do that work today. It's going to just make it. You're going to see light at the end of the tunnel. That's what I'm telling you. So just be ready to receive that truth. Um, it says the one who received the seed that fell amongst the thorn, the thorns is the man who hears the word. So you hear it, but the worries of life and deceitfulness of wealth, two important things. So the worries of life, <sighs> what's going to happen? What am I going to be? You know, all of that. Uh, am I going to get a job? Uh, the worry of, uh, Am I going to get married? Who's going to marry me? Oh, those, the worries of life. And then he says the deceitfulness of wealth. So some people take wealth as a, more of a priority. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And what does that do to the word of God? He said it chokes it. It choke. It choke. How <laughs> did they say that thing? <laughs> it chokes him and makes it unfruitful. But then he talks about the, the soil, the good soil. He hears it, he understands it, and not only does he understand it, he or she produces a crop. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful analogy. Jesus could teach. Jesus could really teach. All right, so let's, let's get into it now. Let's really talk about anxiety as a, as a thing. All right, let's, let's really just talk about what is anxiety. Anxiety is basically just... Um, the fear of the unknown, it's worry. Who can give me more synonyms? Let's get a, a baseline for this. Give me some synonyms in the chat if you can. What is anxiety? What does anxiety mean to you or sound like to you? You know, I mentioned fear. I mentioned worry. That's probably it for many people, right? Uncertainty. So f the fear of the unknown a burden too, like you have burdens that are just overwhelming you. That's, that could lead to anxiety or that could be a source of anxiety. Paralyzing fear. I love that. That's a good um, uh, um, qualifier for that word. Concern, right? You know, let me give you some statistics as we, as we continue. Some statistics that will, will kind of blow your mind. So there's a doctor. His name is Dr. Walter Cavert. All right. Dr. Walter Cavert. He reported a survey on worry 
or on anxiety. And he says, only 8% of the things people worry about were legitimate matters of concern. Only 8%. The other 92% were either imaginary, never happened, or involved matters over which people had no control anyway. How many of you can relate to that? Like, we just worry about things. In fact, there's some times that we just worry about things that are so far ahead. You're not even left school. You're already thinking about five, you know, five, ten years ahead of you. And you're worried as if, like, man, your life is not going anywhere. You know, another another um, interesting statistic that, that I have here from from the U.S., all right? The National Institute of Mental Health recently stated that anxiety disorders are the number one mental health problem in the U.S. Think about that. That's crazy. So it, this, this is affecting about 19 million adults. And, and anxiety is also the number one mental problem for children ages 9 to 17. And I'm wondering, what is a nine-year-old worried about? But you see, this is real. This thing I'm talking about is real. Anxiety is real. I'm not diminishing it. I'm not saying that your concerns are illegitimate all the time. But from this research, it just means that there are a lot of things we, we worry about that is not necessary. We don't have to worry about those things. And, and you know, I, 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 I'm thinking about just, let me get, paint a scenario that many of us relate to. So, you know, you start off life, you go to primary school, primary school is going on. I'm sure there are like small anxieties there that really don't make any difference. And then you get to middle school, you know, high school. And for those in Nigeria, you're like trying to get common entrance, you write your common entrance exam, right? For those in the US, I'm sure there's this, there's also a certifying exam to move to the next level. And you're just overwhelmed, you know, and, and, you know, and then the next thing that comes up is, will I get in? Will I get in? And I don't know how many of you know how, I mean, I'll be speaking mostly to Nigerians here because that's my experience. You know, um, you, you get into school and you're like, ha, well, I got admission, you know, and then you're one of those people that is always testifying. How many of you have ever wondered, because I've always been that kind of person. Maybe I've just been lucky where I have good good grades, you know, everything I don't have to worry about, would I get in or I wouldn't? Like I've never been in that situation, but I know a lot of people that have been in that situation where, you know, they get to church and they say, wow, I got admission to university. It's like a big testimony. And then you come to the US or Canada here and, you know, it's not really something to testify about per se right it's it's not like a miracle it's like okay you do this and you get that but then you get into school you know for for me it was the the major issue at that time was jam results wayek results you know and we're worried ha ah, is it going to work are we going to is this is this going to 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 give us the degree that we are going for. Some people eventually had to go for a different degree, right? Because you didn't meet up to a certain cutoff mark and all of that. And then, okay, you finally get into school and then there are new anxieties because 
you hear about this professor. <laughs> I know I, 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 school was very interesting for me because in Cumberland University, we had some interesting professors or lecturers that just made it really difficult for you to, you just know that you're either going to have a very poor grade in that class or you're just going to by chance scale through, you know, and that also gives you worries. That gives you anxieties. You're just scared. Like, will this really work? Will I, will I get it? At least if I get a B in this class, I'm fine. All of, all of those kind of scenarios. And I can imagine how bad it is in, you know, many schools where there are just some professors that tell you, forget it, you're not going to pass. Just forget it. You know, the, the anxieties from school. And then while you're in school again, there are other anxieties coming. Like, am I, what's going to happen? You know, for, and I'm just saying a lot of things that some may relate to, some may not. But these are, these are real concerns. You know, ladies are like, I've been in this school. No guy has come to me to say, ah, how are you? Uh, I want to be your friend. What's going on? Why are guys not coming to me? And then on the, on the flip side, there are guys too that are thinking, interestingly, because I used to have a lot of friends in my room and the conversations they used to have, very, very interesting conversations of serious uncertainty. Like, what are we going to do after this school? Like, when we get out, you know, everyone comes for your graduation, they're celebrating you. You're wearing your your graduate graduation gown and cap, and you're taking pictures, and you're looking all fly. And then, but in your mind, you're thinking, "What's next? Am I going to get a job?" You know. And what I'm saying all of this, and I'm just painting this picture to show you how uncertain life is. It's a given. You're, you you may not have clarity on a lot of things. But what I'm about to show you today is a biblical approach, right, to handling anxiety and why there is no need to be afraid. All right. And I hope this will really help you. I I I I I know a lot of people here actually have legitimate anxieties. And I'm trying to let you know that hey, they're real, they're legitimate, but there's something to do about it. Worry doesn't help. Worry doesn't make anything better. And we'll see it from the words of Jesus. So what I want to do right now is a very, very quick commentary. All right. So we're going to do a quick commentary from Matthew chapter six. All right. So Matthew chapter six, who's still with me here? All right. Awesome. We're going to start from Matthew chapter six from verse 25. And I just want, before we even read this, I wanted to just get some feedback. What are some, if you, if you feel, if you feel okay to do this, all right, this is vulnerability Sunday. I want you to be as vulnerable as possible. What are the things that scare you the most? You know, put it in the chat right now, if you are bold enough. Um, and if you're not very bold enough, but you really want to share it, let me teach you a trick. You can change your name, <laughs> rename yourself, put it there, change your name back. Nobody will know it's you. <laughs> okay, career. Yeah, so, I mean, worries about will I get a job? You know, when you do even get a job, guess what? You're also worried. Am I going to still keep this job? Your boss calls you and yeah, in your mind, you're like, your heart is beating. <laughs> 
oh my God, am I going to lose this job? Because anxiety is like that. It's, it's crazy. Funds, right? Not having enough funds, you're in school, you're wondering how the next fee is going to come, you know? Having a successful marriage, great kids. <laughs> In fact, this anxiety that that Mulipa um, is, is posting is one of the funniest. You know, some people get anxious about what they don't have yet. So the people that don't have are anxious that they will not, that they will never have it. Those that have it are worried that they will lose it. And that's just, the, that's just, I don't know if this is an exposition already on, on the weakness of worry and how it's just not useful. Okay, let me see some of the others. Yeah, some of you are throwing them in here. Worry of not losing any beloved person. Yeah, that one scares me too. Ill health, you know. And and I can tell you for a fact that some people here, it, they're not experiencing these things as anxieties. They're actually experience, experiencing it as realities. Like some of you here have lost very, very close loved ones. All right, so this is real. Um, all the sacrifices made by my parents, how I make them proud, finances, the responsibility of being the right influence to other people, you know, imposter syndrome. I had imposter syndrome for like the first six months of my job, my new job, because I just felt like, ah, how did I get this job? Can I even meet up? And I had all these like, you know, Asian um, colleagues that are just super, they can do all, everything in their head. Me, I'm just looking, I'm like, <laughs> am I at the right place? You know, marry the wrong person. That's also a legitimate fear. Death, you know, balancing the gospel and my job. Oh, my, that one, yeah. that one. I'm with you on that one. Because you're like, I want to preach the gospel. I want to do my job. And I don't want them to fight each other. You know, there are really a lot. Um, I can go on and on. Some of you just haven't even said the ones that are deep. And, you know, if there's anyone in Mixlr that you think is worth sharing here, please, you know, bring that over here to the chat because I can't see Mixlr right now, you know. But, yeah, in fact, when I, I used to have a business back in Nigeria and anxiety really almost affected me all through that business because I always had the conflict of this thing that Shaitan was talking about, like the, the, the business requires me to be out there sharing something that sounds like the gospel, <laughs> just in another form. And then the gospel is right here, you know, and you don't want to compromise too many relatives needing financial help at the same time. Yeah, trust me, we've all been there at some point, you know, either on the receiving end or on the requesting end, you know, praise God. But let's, now that we know these anxieties, let's see what Jesus says about this. And so we're going to do a quick commentary, all right? And I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready. So I'm going to read. Uh, let's start from verse 25. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? He's asking questions here. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. So right now, I want you to, if you have a window near you, 
try to look spot a bird. I just really want you to envision this. If you don't, you guys have very very creative minds. You can do. You can imagine a bird right now. It says, look at the birds of the air. I can imagine Jesus while he was teaching, actually pointing their attention to some birds. You know, <laughs> he said the birds have gone to sleep here. Ha ha ha. The only birds that are flying now, some of you know the birds that are flying in Nigeria right now. <laughs> I'll not say more than that. Okay. Look at the birds of the air. It says, they do not sow or reap. What does sow or reap mean? It's not a deep spiritual term. It means they do not do work that requires results. So the idea of sowing and reaping is you have a seed, you sow it in the ground. What are you expecting? A plant to grow, Right. They don't do that. They don't sow or reap. They do not store away in barns. Have you ever seen some birds coming together and saying, oh yeah, bring all the seeds that we found. You know, let's gather them together and put them inside one particular storage storage house. No. He says, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable, valuable than they? And then he says this one in verse 27. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? That's a huge question. Let me not spend too much time there because we're coming back. Like, basically, can you add to your life <laughs> by worrying? Like, if worrying could actually add this to your life, then please go ahead and worry. But Jesus is saying, if worry will not add anything to you, why are you worrying? Then he says, and why do you worry about clothes? Then he points them to the flowers. Jesus was such an amazing teacher. You remember, some of us are already used to this text. So we're like, oh, yeah, I know this story. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. You've heard it so many times. But no, don't ever come to the word of God like that. That's something I really want to emphasize here. Don't ever approach the word of God like, I know this already. It will, it will affect you negatively. Always come open. If someone quotes a verse again, be open to listen to it. It's so important that you have a meek spirit when you come to the word of God. So important. It says, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. That means he's, he's telling you, birds, they don't gather into barns. Flowers. How many of you have seen a flower that waves at you when you go by it does it move he's saying they don't even do anything they don't spin they don't they don't do tailor work you know they don't do any of those things but yet they look so beautiful and then he says yet i tell you that not even solomon in all his splendor is dressed like one of these is that how if that is how god clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire Will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? And then he tells us, so do not worry. Say to yourself, say, do not worry. He says, don't worry. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Because those are the major things that we ask, right? And he says, for the pagans or the Gentiles run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. Then verse 33, he tells us what to do instead. He says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Awesome. So what I want to do real quick is to point out the five key reasons to not be anxious. All right. So let's get through that together. 
things not to be anxious. Number one, life is more than food and clothing. Life is more than food and clothing. <sighs> this thing has to become your reality. We are in a time right now that if you don't, if you, there's just so much pressure, so much pressure to prove a point to the world, to look a certain way. There's just that pressure, you know, the, several years before, there was nothing like like share. <laughs> but now you look at your post and maybe after two days of posting, you only see five likes, you feel depressed. How did we get to this point? How did we get to a point where we are so conscious about the things that don't really matter? And what is happening today is that we are prioritizing the things that, that we eat and we wear rather than the person. That's a big problem. And that's something we must not fall prey to. That's the trend of the world. The current trend of the world is you are what you wear. You are what you eat. And Jesus is saying your life does not consist in the things you have. In fact, I'll show you that verse shortly. But look at how he said this particular thing in verse 25. Let me show you in verse 25. He said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life about what you will eat or drink, that's food, or about your body, what you will wear. And now, please, there's a balance here. Jesus is not saying, hey, don't care about what you wear, so just wear anything, or you know, don't be careful about what the food you eat. No, he's talking in terms of worry. So don't, don't anytime you are thinking of provision, so when he says food and clothing, anything that is for your sustenance, how would you be kept? So you're talking about your job, you know, your education, or anything around that that involves you being catered for. He's saying, why worry about it? Don't let that worry cripple you. Or about your body, what you wear. So clothing, shelter. So you're thinking about where the rent is coming from next, next month is what he's saying. Like, don't let your thoughts, your overwhelming thoughts be about those things, you know. I'll share something with you because I'm being vulnerable. I made a very stupid financial decision um, some days back where I didn't verify where I was making the payment and I didn't verify, you know, the authenticity of the seller. And I ended up spending, you know, a ridiculous amount. I mean, the amount for the product, but then nothing came as a result. And I found myself getting into that moment, that, that place of worry, like, oh, I'm stupid. How can I be this stupid? I'm a tech guy. I'm supposed to know like all the things, you know, that protect you from scams and stuff. And I was just beating myself up and I was just anxious and I was just really worried, you know? So I'm, I'm talking from, I know this personally and I had to like fight. It was a fight for joy, a fight for faith that, Hey, I'm not going to be worried about it. You know, I've made that decision and I made a mistake and it's over with. You know, but I'm not going to be worried about what I can get because my life is more important. And where am, I, where am I getting this idea of my life is worth something? Jesus gives that picture in Luke chapter 12. Let me show you real quick. Because here he says, is your life not more important than food and the body more important than clothes? That's, that's huge. Look at what he says in Luke chapter 12 from verse 15. I need someone to read this out really 
loud and clear for everyone. We're going to read it in three translations because I want it to, I want it to grab you. So I need someone who is bold enough. Just read Luke twelve fifteen on the NIV right now on the screen. And he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist of in the abundance of his possessions. Hmm. He says, a man's life, a human being's life, does not consist in the abundance of his possession. Meaning, you look at possession here, and you look at one's life, and you don't equate them. But better put, if, if all you have in this world is money, you are extremely poor. You are extremely poor. You, your, your life does not consist in the things that you possess. Can you say this? Say, my life does not consist in the abundance of things that I possess. Say it with conviction. We're going to say it in, from another translation. Let's read from the NLT. See, some of you have to, this thing has to grip some of you. Let this grip you. It's so, it's so important. Read this in, in the NLT. It says, life is not measured by how much you own. You have to start to respect people for the, just the mere fact that they are people. We're in a world where you find people who are disrespectful to a 60-year-old driver but they are very respectful to a 25-year-old millionaire. That is and what, what does that tell you? It tells you the focus, that the focus is not really on the person as, a, as someone having intrinsic worth because they are made in the image of God. Rather, it's what they possess. And we need to change that mindset. So life is not measured by how much you own. I'm going to read from the message because in this case, Message does a good job in getting what Jesus was trying to communicate. He said, take care. Protect yourself against the least bit of greed. And then he says, life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. In fact, this sounds very similar to what C.S. Lewis said. I'm going to read it um, almost verbatim. So C.S. Lewis said this. Listen, I hope I get it right this time. So he who has God has nothing, has everything. He who has God. Hey, I know. Uh, let me just read it. <laughs> let me find where I, where I typed it out. All right. Good, 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 good. Very lucky. It's good. I, I followed the instructions to write it down. I was thinking I'll be, you know, able to say it off by heart. So he says, he who has God, but has nothing has everything. He that has everything but not God has nothing. And he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God alone. That's deep. And that's profound. In other words, if you have God, you have everything. Think about that for a moment. So the, the picture Jesus is painting here He's saying there is more to your life. There is more meaning to your life. Flowers can be burnt away, yet they are, they are cared for so beautifully. How much more your life? How much more your life? Birds, they don't do any financial planning. <laughs> and I'm not saying you should not 
plan financially, okay? I'm just saying they don't do it, but yet God takes care of them and feeds them. How much more you? That's the message here. And so let's move to the second point. So the first point is what? Life is more than food and clothing. Number two, worry will not improve your life. Worry won't improve your life. And that's exactly what Jesus was trying to say here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. He says, let's go back to maybe HCSB. It says, can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? <laughs> you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be, let me, let me control myself. I have self-control. Don't worry. I will not say it. Okay. <laughs> But, you know, a lot of people think that they can do, if you are, if you are short, there's nothing you can do. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> there's nothing you can do. Just accept your shortness as the glory of God, as an expression of God's glory. You know, God says, lo, lo, I will be with you till the end of the age. Yeah. <laughs> when there's no feedback, it's hard to know if you are making a good joke or not. But, yeah. Um, let's continue. Let's go ahead. It says, verse 27, can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? You can't. And so the point he's making is, why worry about what you can't fix? There are a lot of things in this world that you cannot change. You know, and, and so once you have that awareness, it just... It, it makes your life very simple. So sometimes your fears and anxieties can paralyze you from being bold and confident. Like there are certain things you're supposed to do, but because you are afraid, because you are worried, you don't do them. And see, here's one thing I like to tell people. If you are fearful about doing something or launching into something, maybe you have a business idea and you want to do it, but you're afraid, or you have this thing that is at the back of your mind that you're really passionate about doing, but you have fears like, hey, what if this thing fails? My response to you is let it fail very well. I'm serious. Like go for it, go for it and fail because that's one privilege you have. It's a blessing. Some of you don't get it. How many people do you know today that are extremely successful that don't have failure in their success story? Mention one person. So the more you avoid failing, the more you are keeping away from a natural standpoint, your success. Because you need to fail <laughs> to succeed. And those people who don't fail have probably learned from the failures of others. So failure is still very important. Who's with me on this? It's, this is so important. Good to see you, Kelechi. Welcome. This is, this is super important. If you are overwhelmed by your fears and anxiety and you don't get to do those things. Guess what? You just keep growing older and older. Nothing new is happening in your life. No adventure. And nobody wants to read that kind of story. <laughs> nobody wants to read. Even the stories in the Bible that we read about, it's just a whole compilation of failures of men and how God used the failures of men and their weaknesses to bring about his glory. So get into the train failure <laughs> i know this is not a motivational speech some of you just want to hear you have greatness within you go for it but the truth is many of you will try it and you will fail you you will go for that job and you might that might not be the job that you stay with you might get fired 
you might want to work in a certain and that one is not clicking but then the job you got was maybe um maybe you you studied like you got bsc masters phd like you are the best so you're like oh any company that is going to take me like this man that's it but then you don't get any job two years three years and then you get a bank job take it <laughs> and i'm not saying you not things without seeking the counsel of god but i'm saying hey you have to you have to launch out do something a lot of people are paralyzed there's the story of the lepers in in scripture some lepers you know they were contemplating if we stay here we're going to die of starvation if we go into this particular place where there are people and we know that they are you know they will kill us if we go there but we know for sure that if we stay here we're going to die and they came up with that beautiful response they said hey you know what we know we're going to die here but let's go I mean, let's go towards the risk. And the Bible makes it clear that they went there and they had enough to eat. Sometimes it's our fear that holds us back. And you know what? When things don't work out, don't stay there. Don't, don't, don't give up and just say that's the end. You know, a lot of people allow this to beat them up. And I, I say this even when it comes to relationships, you know, you just so overwhelmed of failure of getting rejected see let me tell you something everyone has the privilege of saying no <laughs> everyone has the privilege of saying no if you've said you've, you've asked somebody out you've said how much you like the person and the person said sorry i'm not doing it. i don't want <laughs> you can't do anything about it you know i mean people like kelechi that you know, they're going to the vatican they don't have this they don't have this issue so no, Allah. <laughs> yeah, I see it in his face now. <laughs> but seriously, I'm serious. You cannot change. You cannot. It's, it's, it's so weird. So you, you, you know, you talk to someone and then they're crying and you're like, why are you crying? Why are you crying? What's up? And you say, <laughs> it's, it's been three years. Three years since my boyfriend broke up with me. <sighs> Move on. <laughs> Move on. It's, don't, don't be doing pity party. Move on. You have so much to do. A lot of you are just hindering your progress because you are dwelling on your anxieties, your worries, your failures, your limitations. You know? And, and trust me, it hurts. You know, it hurts when someone that you really like says no. But guess what? It is a privilege. You are probably saying no to a bunch of people too. Yes or no? You say, ah, you're not my spec. You not say it with words, but you've you've communicated it. All right, but that's the point. That's the point I'm trying to make. So, worry will not improve your life. There's no need to worry. There's no there's there's no legitimate reason that you know. And th- that's why we're getting to the next point because the next point really gives more credence to this. So, we said point one: five reasons not to be anxious. Life is more than food and clothing. Worry life, all right? Point number three, the Gentiles worry. <laughs> you, may, you may think this, is, this doesn't make a difference, but that's the point Jesus is trying to make. I'm, I'm trying to do a commentary here of that text we read and show you why Jesus is saying we shouldn't worry. Look at verse 32. 
from verse 31. He says, so, so don't worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we hear or wear, sorry. It says verse 32, for the idolaters, that's another term for Gentiles, all right? Idolaters, King James says Gentiles, for all, after all these things do the Gentiles seek. What, 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 what do we mean when we say Gentiles? We're saying unbelievers, people who don't have a relationship with the God of heaven. They are seeking after food and clothing. Like that's their life's ambition. And Jesus is trying to say, be different. Don't be like this. The Gentiles worry. You should not worry. Why? You have a father. You have a responsible father. Your earthly father may have passed on, but the real father, your heavenly father is still alive. He cares for you more than anyone could ever care for you. He knows your needs before you ask. And that's the point he's making. He's saying, for your heavenly father knoweth that you have need of these things. He's not an irresponsible father. He knows you have needs. And he's saying, don't be like those who are passionately seeking fame, fortune, wealth, food, clothing, raiment. No, put your trust in God. Don't, don't worry like the Gentiles. Don't be frantic. Don't be anxious like those that don't have the blessing that you have you know even the gentiles the bible makes it clear that god causes his reign and his son to fall upon the just and the unjust so there's two recipients all right from a generic standpoint but there's no point worrying in fact there's a text i wanted to share with you earlier this text just you know <laughs> it, it, it hit me very hard it's ecclesiastes seven fourteen. And I want to read it from the, the message. Now, let me read it from NLT. You know, and it just, I want you to have this perspective. Now, this is wisdom literature. So I've already talked about how the you know, different parts of the Bible are to right? We're still going to get into that in further Vulnerability Sundays. In fact, don't miss Vulnerability Sunday next month. Um, Hermeneutic Sunday next month, rather. I'm going to do a teaching on... Let me keep it in suspense and let me just make it, let me leave that for now. But it's a very, very vital um, teaching that everyone needs to hear. All right. So don't miss that. But the whole idea is that there are certain things that are in scripture that have a wisdom structure to them. So they are not necessarily like doctrinal statements, but they are revelatory about the nature of life. Look at this one. He says, this is, this is um, Solomon writing here. He says, enjoy prosperity while you can. But when life, when hard times strike, look at what he says. He says, realize that both come from God. Remember that nothing is certain in this life. In, in fact, I like the way King James puts it because it, it's, it's, it's complicated but I like it better. It says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. So your response when things are going fine is joy. Don't be that double down now when people are succeeding and you are not, or something is going wrong and you're just, you know, overwhelmed by, you, you, you're, you're not loving and thank, thankful for that person. You know, in the day of prosperity, yours or your friends, be joyful. He said, but in the day of adversity, consider so when things are going bad, actually he's saying, calm down, sit down, reflect. And then he tells you something. He says, God also has set the one over against the other. Meaning, 
God is in charge of both is what he's saying. Not, not that God is necessar- necessarily bringing adversity into your life, but God is sovereign over it. That's what he's trying to communicate here. God is totally sovereign over it. If anything bad is happening in your life, don't ever think God is outside of it. Don't ever think God is looking from the sidelines and saying, I don't really care about you. If you have that mindset, change it right now. Because if you are not confident that God works all things for your good, and you're not confident in the fact that God is actually sovereign over everything that you experience in life, not necessarily the cause, but he's sovereign over it. If you don't have that perspective, when you do go through trying times, no matter how much Bible you think you know, or how much theology you know, what will help you in that moment is your knowledge of God's presence even in that like david had this mindset he said when i walk through the valley of the shadow of death do you think he was someone of little faith because today what people think about faith is you know i, sh- I can't be thinking of negative things or if if negative things are happening in my life then i don't have faith that's not the biblical perspective of faith faith is in spite of that is the whole idea of faith he said um when I walk to the valley of the shadow of, of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. We're going to look at that at the end. The, the last text is going to be that Psalm 23 that most of you probably see as by now because you've quoted it so many times, but it's so powerful. So this is just an exposition. He says, God has set the one over against the other to the end that man should not find should find nothing after him. That idea of not knowing the future, it's, your, it's sometimes for your safety <laughs> because God wants you to trust in him in the now, knowing that he's in your future. It will set you free. You, I, 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 I like to say, or I, I think this is my experience, I hardly have anxiety. I don't, when I do, I don't let it stay because my mindset is, ah, God cares for me. Like I, That's my default setting. God cares for me. This will be fine. This will be all right. He's my father. And I want that to be your mindset. Don't be like the Gentiles that worry. All right. Let's go to point four real quick. And it's, it's a flow. It's just a natural flow from our conversation just now. It's, point four is worry is a demonstration of little faith. So think about it. Imagine you're in an airplane. And you have the opportunity to sit at the side seat. So some of you, know, if, you've, if you're in Canada or in the U.S., you've definitely been in an airplane. If you haven't, you've watched movies where, you know, there was an airplane. If you sit at the, at the side, I lo- anytime I'm in a plane, I, love, I like to sit at the side where the, there's a window. Be, at the beginning, I used to be scared because I'm like, ah, how would I be looking down? I'll see how high I am ah, if this plane you know, crashes. You see, we're still talking on anxieties. These, these are some anxieties people have. And you know what's funny? Medicine is so quick to give these things a name. And so we normalize them. That's a conversation for another day. I mean, there are legitimate issues like, you know, there's ADHD. I, I, I agree that there are medical issues that generate anxiety in people. But not every anxiety should be given a name and, and uh, acknowledged as something you possess, you know, um, 
something phobia, dash phobia, anything phobia. You now say, oh, that's, I have claustrophobia. Uh, how do how they say that thing? I have this phobia. We need to hold on to God's idea. God is saying, don't worry about anything. So in a sense, your expression or display of faith should deal with worry. If you are worried, it means you have little faith is what this is talking about. If you are worrisome, if you have a lot of burdens, it's a display of little faith. And that's how, that's why Jesus said this in Matthew. We're still in Matthew 20, uh, chapter 6. Hope you're following so far. I'm, I'm not seeing much response, but I know you guys are following. Look at verse 30. Matthew 6, 6 from verse 30. It says, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven of fire, shall he not much clothe you? And look at the caption there. Oh, ye of little faith. So it's Jesus that is saying this, that an ex- worry is an expression of little faith. It's, it, you're showing that you don't really trust in a powerful God. Let me take you back to that aircraft. Right now, where you, when you are on the, like here, where you are right now, if you open your window and you look outside, you know, you see buildings, you can probably see trees. They are big, they are huge, right? You're looking, you're seeing cars, they look big. You're seeing trucks, they look big. Because you are here on this level. When you are in an aircraft, what do they look like? Really small. In fact, it gets to a point where you don't see anything because, because the clouds cover it. And that's like the mindset you need to have. Which, which God do we serve? Is it Ogbanji? Is it uh, what the, Ogun? Or which, which, which God do we serve? Because a lot of people measure our problems from our own perspective, not from God's perspective. She says, she says Shongo, God is bigger, 100 million times bigger than any challenge you're facing. And that's your father. So it should influence how you think. Nothing in this world can so affect me that God is not a, like, how, how can I phrase this? I'm losing the words because I'm so passionate about this point. There is nothing that you are going through that God cannot handle. From God's perspective, all your problems are small. From your perspective, they look huge. They look grandiose. They look impossible. From God's perspective, it's like nothing is impossible to me. With man, things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's the mindset we need to have, all right? You need to see things from God's perspective. And this will help you a lot with anxiety, I promise. Always have that mindset, that disposition, that if I'm going through something, I will calm down, step one. Step two, I will look at what God has said about that issue. Step three, I'll believe it. That's it. If you have that mindset, man, you will flow through life. Because see... There are some things we cannot change. There are some things you cannot change. Life is designed (laughs) to be unpredictable. I don't know if it came by because of the fall. I don't really know. I have to study deeper on that. But there's chaos everywhere. You cannot predict what's happening tomorrow. You can have predictions. You know, like everybody was saying, Trump is going to be 
president 2020. I think that was just a way God wanted to, you know, show people that, hey, <laughs> you can't just predict the future anyhow. You're not God, you know. It's so important that we get this perspective that we serve a God that knows all things and he's, he's our father. It's such a mindset to have. So we need to see things from God's perspective and desire things the way he does. All right. It's so, so, so imp- important. You know, that's why I, I, would, I would recommend go back to old songs, old songs that we used to sing. How many of you remember this song? Um, because he lives, I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone. Listen to the words now. All fear is gone because I know he holds my future and life is worth a living just because he lives. My life is worth living because he lives. That's that's beautiful. Or this other one. My lifetime, I will give God my lifetime. If I give God my lifetime, he will take care of me. He will never, never let me down. These are, see, these are, these are songs that we need to still be singing today. I don't know if it's to turn it to rap, turn it to rap. But these are classics that we need to hold to. And I think that's why people always ask for the faith of the old. They, they say, give me that one time old religion. Because those, those songs were rich. The hymns, they were loaded. It's not like today that everybody just wants to just say, Jesus is my friend, rock. Yeah, Jesus. And you just add Jesus and you are blown. No. <laughs> Give us content, truth. All right. You know, or, or even at least we have all our new contemporary musicians like our brother Udumeje. <laughs> said, there is only one God and his name is Jesus Christ. <laughs> Maybe I'll play Udumeje's song after this. But seriously, worry is an expression of little faith. You know. It's the expression of little faith. The final point, God is providential. Ah, this one is just the best. Look at, look at verse 26. It says, behold the fowls of the air. They do not sow. They do not reap. They don't have any financial plan. They do not do any, they don't gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feeded them. So imagine birds, imagine squirrels. They, they move around. They're expecting to find food. So get this, they are responsible. They are moving around. They're not just waiting, all right? They are moving around, but they have that hope. They know that by the work they are doing, God is going to provide. Maybe not like they're intellectually thinking about it, but they have that expectancy. I've watched a lot of squirrel videos to know that they just know that they will find, they will find nuts. They are everywhere. They just go and they find it, just eat. And that's it. They're okay. Next day they go out again. It's like, that's when you understand, give us our daily bread. That's actually how they see it. Daily bread, not stored up bread. <laughs> it's so, so, so important to get this. So God is providential. God, if, if God can provide for them, why not you? Why are you different? Think about Joseph's story. Joseph, all through his life, everything just kept going downwards, downwards. His brothers dream into a pit. They sold him into slavery. He got there. Being, he was still faithful, doing his own part. Uh, they lied about him. 
you know, you, you slept with Potiphar's wife. They locked him up in jail. He was still useful. He was still promoted within the prison, you know. And you just see how God is able to use, God is providential. God is able to use the, the downfalls and the terrible situations of our lives to show his glory. That's so, so profound. And, and that's why I, I say you need to believe the word of God. If the word of God says in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for the good of them that love him and are called according to his purpose, believe it, it's true. All things, not some things, all things in your life, God is committed to making them work together. And that's the meaning of providential. When you say God is providential, it means that God dwells in your future. God knows your end. God knows the future. God, God has everything. He knows and he makes provision for it. So don't wait till the end till you are going to be thankful. You know, have that mindset that nothing can defeat you. Nothing can bring you down. You know, my, my pastor used to say something very, very funny. He said, ah, they tried to drown us, but they did not know we are Gary. We rise. <laughs> LOL. But that's just a joke. Seriously, there's, you might be going through legitimate difficult times and here's me being serious you may be going through a lot of serious difficulties but you have a great cloud of witnesses everybody that you can read here had a story of a difficult time i think it's so intentional that god doesn't let us go through life without challenges i think it's very intentional god god just makes sure that okay I know the end. You are not going to. Are, there's going to be no sorrow, no weeping, no anything at the end of the day. But now that you're on this earth, I feel like there's a refining way that it helps you see my glory better. So when you go to trials, I want to be there. I want you to put your trust in me. So you see that I'm actually the source. I'm actually the one in the midst of your life, and nothing can separate you from my love. You know, these are things to think about because a lot of people struggle with this. How is God able to, but I mean, the Bible is replete with examples. Even in the life of Jesus, God uses the most dreadful, arrogant, evil act of, of sinful men to bring about the greatest salvation story. That's the God we have. It's providential. He will use anything. He doesn't create evil, but he can use evil to bring about the greatest good. And that's what I see in scripture, except you want to argue with me, argue with that. But that's exactly what God does. And so you can trust him that everything he does is good. He's your father. So he will use even the bad situations in your life to work out good. So there's no point to worry. And that's the whole idea of providential. All right. Say God is providential. And he cares for me. So I don't have to be anxious. You know, let me just quickly show you a text that everybody knows, Psalm 23. Very, very quick summary. Quick. I just want you to get this picture because these are texts that we know already, but you need to believe it. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Meaning God is my shepherd. He provides. He's the one that is, you know, has sheep. I'm a sheep. He's the shepherd. He's in charge. He says, because he is my shepherd, I will not want, I will not lack anything. He says, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I, I, I was, I, you know, some people see this as he makes me eat green pastures. He says, no, lie down. Meaning, 
I'm lying down in pastures. I'm eating to my full and I'm living in the place of abundance. That's like the mindset he's painting here because he's my shepherd. He, he owns the pasture. He let, lets me lie down in green pastures and then he leads me beside, this, beside the still water. So I'm not only fed, I have water. And then he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. So he leads me in righteousness for his own namesake, on his own integrity. That's, that's huge. He's doing it for his own sake. If he was doing it for your sake, then it would be dependent on your performance. It would be dependent on how well you are able to prove yourself. But he's only doing it for his name's sake. That's profound. And then he says, yeah, do, we read this earlier. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. God is with you even in the storm and the difficulty. He says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Some of you don't know what this, why he uses these two. So let me explain that real quick. Rod. What is rod? It's, it's what this, this, this shepherd, because um, David here is being very metaphorical, painting a picture of what shepherds actually do. So they have a staff. It's the same thing, but two sides. The rod is what they used to beat the sheep that are going astray. So it's for discipline, all right? And then staff is to bring them together direction. So in a sense, God, the Bible tells us about the discipline of God. Every child of God, everyone who claims to be a child of God should have the discipline of God, all right? So in God's providential nature, God is also taking care of us and leading us in the right direction, correcting us when we go astray. That's part of the provision. So it says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So rod and then staff, beautiful, beautiful analogy there. And it says, thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's, that's profound, profound. And then there's, I just, you know, go back and read through this psalm again and meditate on it. It will really bless you. But I just want to end with these three points, all right? How do you deal with anxiety? Three ways to deal with anxiety really fast. I already explained why we don't need to be anxious, but three ways to deal with anxiety. Number one, practice, practice or prepare anyone you want to call. You know, this one is talking from, this is from the angle of, you know, you're about to go about a venture or something, you know, something is ahead of you that you have to do. Don't get there unprepared. Preparation always gets you ready. Imagine if I didn't prepare for this teaching. I'll just be here, just, you know, not making any sense. All right. This is just a small example. But generally speaking, whenever you have anything to do, your work, if it's at your work or school, practice. If you're struggling with maths, practice more maths. You know, if you're still in school, if you're having issues at your job, Prove that you can be better. Take the effort. Practice. Because if you're going to do anything big for God, you must have done the little things. You must have killed the lion and the bear before you can actually, they can let you fight Goliath. All right? You know, and, and then the next point is prayer. Prayer. Philippians chapter 4 from verse 6 to 7 says what? Who can tell me? It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, which is point three. So I'm just going to group prayer and praise together here. Point three, with thanksgiving. So be anxious for nothing. There's a problem, but don't be anxious for it. Pray about it 
and give thanks even before it happens. That's the mindset of the believer. If you're going to deal with anxiety, this is how to do it. There are many other ways, but I'm sure the Lord has given you instructions from the, the short teaching we've had today. But I just want you to be confident. Be confident in the ability of God to keep you. He's your father. If there's anything you are going to leave this session we've had today in, in dealing with anxiety, you must know that God really does care about you. He really does. If you have a heavenly father that gives good gifts, he will not withhold it from you. If he is able to take care of the birds in the air that are not really even serving or worshiping him per se, actively with their minds, the plants that will, one day will be alive, they'll be dead tomorrow. But God gives them beauty. He clothes the flowers. He feeds the birds. How much more you? It's a mindset to have, all right? So let's just pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, because we, we, we know that it's your will that we are full of faith and not fear, full of confidence and not doubt, Lord. We ask even right now that these words will bear fruit in our hearts, fruits that will remain of trust and confidence in the God of our salvation, that we will lack nothing because you are on our side, that we, we, we will have all our needs met because you our father so right now we speak against worry and anxiety and we curse it right now in the name of jesus we will be full of faith full of faith not of anxiety and anyone here that, is, that has been plagued with worry anxiety they are healed right now by the power of the spirit healed right now that worry leaves those panic attacks that you experience very often in the evenings cease right now in the name of Jesus. And right now your life progresses upward and forward. That even through the trials and temptations, you look at the cross. You look at what Jesus has done for you. You look at the father and source of your redemption and see what he has provided for you. The providential God. Thank you, father. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this recording. We hope this session was a blessing to you as it was for us. If you'd like to be an active part of Bible Marathon, maybe join in live on our Sunday sessions, be part of the WhatsApp group, or would just like to know more about the Bible Marathon project, visit our website, bit.ly slash bmglive4 for more details. That's bit.ly slash bmglive4 more details. We pray you stay blessed, experiencing progress and joy in your faith.